Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Coming to you live on tape from the lucky 13th floor of a commercial high-rise in beautiful Beverly Hills adjacent California from the studios of Sirius XM West boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, a man who leads a creative dual life as seen in such films as Inception, The Dark Knight Rises, Looper, 500 Days of Summer, and Don John. For the past 15 years, he has also been known as Regular Joe to thousands of collaborators the world over through his flourishing hit record online creative community. You can see him in the Band Together One Hour special on YouTube, also featuring the hip-hop artist Logic. Hello, and welcome, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Thanks so much, man. That was quite a description. I appreciate it. We have a lot of a lot of ground to cover there. You are a, a complicated, multifaceted man. <laughs> Thanks. I'll take that as a compliment. I think that's how I intended it. Yeah. Um, so there's a there is a bunch of ground for us to cover, and it's hard to dive right into. So before we talk about the special, in a nutshell, for the uninitiated, what is Hit Record? Sure. So Hit Record is a community of people all over the world that uh, use the internet to make all kinds of creative projects together. And so it's different than your average um, sort of collaborative media platform because uh, it's not about just posting things that you've made on your own. It's a place where people make things together. And uh, that elicits a feeling that's kind of different where you're not just competing in a popularity contest, but you're working together towards a common goal, whether that's to you know make a video together, make a song together, make a book together. And uh, it's been something I've done and taken a lot of joy from for many years now. And, a decade uh, plus at this point. Yeah, in different forms. It's you know it started as a very tiny informal hobby thing, thing that I was running with my brother for fun, and it's grown and grown since then. And now we just did our first collaboration with you know like a number one platinum selling musician, and and he used the platform to lead a collaborative process to make a song, and we documented the whole thing and, and uh, turned it into a special. For YouTube Originals, it's called Band Together with Logic, and it's great. I'm actually I'm I'm super super proud of it. Yeah, it came out great. It looks great, and it's a great story. Oh, you watched it's, it? Yeah, yeah. It's and it's a it's Thanks. a great uh, concept. I think there's lots of utopian ideals about the internet. We're going to bring the world together. We're all going to become as one and share our different things. But this is a this is a real thing that you're doing. People are making money off of what you're doing. First of all, can I just say how excited I am that you you, you brought up utopia? I mean, I, I wasn't necessarily expecting let's to go talk, there. Let's but talk let's, utopia. Let's get into it, man. I, I gather that you are a bit of a utopian. <laughs> I, well, I try not to be dystopian, and the way to stay that harder. is to just think about <laughs> utopia. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I, I mean, um, it's true that we've always paid people when we monetize the stuff that gets made on Hit Record. But actually, um, when you talk to people in the community, money isn't the main reason that people do it. People like being a part of a creative process that's bigger than themselves. They like, uh, I think, the accountability that's provided by a community, the encouragement, the feedback. It's hard when you're just uh, – you feel creative and you want to make something and you just kind of like post it and it's just you. And you're like, okay, hey, world, I made a thing. Like, do you care? Like, I don't know. And 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 a lot of the – you know. 
a lot of the internet is framed in sort of how much attention can you get for what you've made? And when that's your thinking, when that's your goal, I think it can often be disappointing. Uh, whereas on Hit Record, it's really we focus less on like, okay, how much attention did we get? We focus more on like, what did we make? And how, you know, how is the process of making that together? And so how does this tie into the special? So first of all, how do you know Logic? I met Logic on Twitter. Uh, I, he actually tweeted to me when he saw me rap, and I'm you know, not a particularly good rapper, <laughs> uh, but uh, he saw me rap on um, that show – uh, the name of oh, which the, I'm where, right where, Drop where, the mic, drop yeah, yeah, the sure, mic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and because uh, Seth Rogen asked me to compete with him on Drop the Mic. And I guess Logic was just a, a fan of um, the movies and stuff I'd been in. And so he tweeted to me and I tweeted back to him. And I was like, hey, dude, I actually have this idea. Would you want to do it? And it turned out he was the perfect guy to do this because he's, he's – just a so talented not only as a rapper but as a producer and he's also just someone who loves the creative process this is not the kind of artist who's like doing it for the glitz and glamour he just like this is a guy who sits at home and writes screenplays writes not he's about to put out a novel is he? he wrote a novel yeah his next album it's called supermarket his next album is based on this novel that he wrote. So this is a guy that just loves creativity for its own sake, yeah. which is exactly what Hit Record is about. Mm -hmm. And he just he he got such a kick out of doing it in this way of inviting the world to get involved in in the creative process that he was leading. So long story short, what it is is you get on. He has like a recording bus kind of thing. God, I'm so jealous when I see those. Things. I've been on one or two of those, and man, would I love to just drive me just just keep driving. I'm just gonna keep banging stuff out here. It was pretty cool. So he, you know, he, his guys lay, lay down a track, and he spitballs the beginnings of a track. And usually, this would be a demo that he runs around and listens to, and develops into a full song. In this case, he hands it over to you, and you in turn hand it over to the world, and you have collaborators literally the world over. How many people? tried to throw something down on that to get in on this track. I would imagine that would be like uh, like the koi pound where all the fish are following you around desperate to get a piece of this. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, I don't know the exact number. It's in the thousands. and But, you know, the, the difference is also it's not just <laughs> like koi fish all competing for a spot. The difference is people are building off of one another. So it's not like you just say like, all right, here's my entry into the contest i hope i get picked it's more like people kind of come together in this environment and work off of each other someone will say like oh i like your horns i can take your horns and add my idea for bass and drums and let's see what other people might want to do with that and so these different kind of versions emerge based on different people kind of collaborating in these ways and and this is the process that we document and put into this special so it it is a music show there it has certain commonality with like an american idol or the voice or things like that but it, it's not a contest. It's it's a collaborative process where we at the end we've all made something together. Uh, so you announce this to the world on stage at MSG. Yeah. Okay, that was his idea, <clears throat> which is a great idea. Um, I've never been on stage in front of twenty thousand people at, mm -hmm. screaming like people who are pumped up. People yeah. at, uh, at, at MSG. I don't know if you've had that experience before. No. To, to the lay person who is never going to have that experience, what could you possibly <clears throat> compare the feeling of that energy coming back at you? Dying, to? 
dying. It's like death. <laughs> it's like a threshold. You see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you're like, I don't know what's beyond that light. I'm pretty nervous about it. Does it but make I'm, you nervous? But I'm going anyway, and I can't help it. Uh, that one made me nervous, yeah. Because there's things that you do, obviously, that would make other people maybe make logic very, very nervous. Is it just like a different set of muscles that the one can't prepare you for the other? Yeah, I think you just get nervous about something you're not used to. And I, I actually these days kind of uh, treasure those feelings of getting nervous because it's true. I, I don't get nervous that often because I've done a lot of things and, you know, been around in my time. You have. So uh, so when I get the chance to do something that's actually making me very nervous, it's special. And, and yeah, getting up on stage at Madison Square Garden was definitely one of those occasions. So why do you think that a project like this is so important? important to you i feel like it's very central to your sense of identity and your creative self your twitter your your twitter is at hit record joe your twitter bio is um the last two sentences are you know you describe what hit record is and you say but it's not just about getting attention it's about making things with other people now you only have so many characters in your twitter bio i find it very telling that you chose to focus on that you've obviously grown up in a business where Nobody's ever going to say, well, I'm just here for the fame and fortune, and if I can get laid on the side, that'd be great, too. But you A lot must of people have... do say that, don't they? Like, it's becoming kind of cool to just be like honest about one's vanity. I I'm guess, not really but... bringing much to the table, yeah. but if you guys want to keep looking at me, I'd be happy to endorse some weight loss products. <laughs> but you, so you clearly, I, I, this isn't something that everybody likes the idea of collaboration. Everybody likes the idea of utopia, but you have taken it so seriously that you dedicate a lot of your capital, a lot of the attention that's directed at you towards these sorts of things. Why do you think that is so important to you? I mean, first of all, I should just say, I can't claim to be immune to the seductive qualities of getting attention. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody, I think, feels that, and I feel it. I just, I think I've been around it enough that I know that um, it's like a drug, it's like a dangerous drug. And I know people that uh, have gotten really addicted to it and had it, you know, cause them a lot of unhappiness just the way that an addictive drug can. And how can so, I don't want you to name names, but how could that play out? It's hard for me to understand. I mean, that's the classic story that you see in any like rock star biopic is, you know, yes, they're addicted to drugs, but the the thrill you get from getting that attention and call it fame or whatever you want to call it is, I think equally addictive and um or uh i don't know if anybody out there has seen the movie sunset boulevard but that's that's the classic example of this uh you know sunset boulevard's a wonderful old hollywood movie that uh if you like movies and especially movies about movies this is one of the very best ever and it's about an actress uh who was a silent film star um, and now, you know, silent films are no longer a thing and she's, uh, just horrendously depressed. Yeah. Uh, she locks herself in a home. She has this tiny little cocoon home that she's made where she can shut out the outside world and keep up some facade for herself that mm-hmm. the past is the present. Right. Whatever happened to baby Jane is very similar in a, in a darker, weirder, kitschier kind of way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying mm-hmm as if I've seen that movie. Oh, you got to. Well, like, cause I recognize the title. I'm like, I should have seen that movie. I'm so <laughs> embarrassed that I haven't. Um, yeah, no, you should definitely, it's, it's, uh, uh, yeah, we don't need to get into that, but right. So I, I, I get what you are getting at. But here's the thing. I think that that thing that, that the character in Sunset Boulevard is experiencing is now something that we're kind of all subjecting ourselves to mm-hmm. because we all have access to a certain amount of fame and whether you're getting attention from, a, you know, 
a few dozen people at your school or you're getting uh, attention from millions of people, I think actually a lot of the emotional experience is very similar and you can get addicted to it just the same. And, uh, and I, I do think it's kind of dangerous. And the truth is, is that no matter how much attention you get, uh, it'll never be enough to make you happy. Right. Just like no matter how much heroin you do, uh, it'll get you high for a second not speaking from personal experience, uh, it, it can get you high for a second, but then that high will be over and then you'll be left craving more and it's a, a really you know dangerous cycle. So when I say uh, that, that Hit Record's not about getting attention, what I have found in my life is the way to avoid this sort of vicious cycle is to focus less on the attention. And I say less because I won't claim that I don't focus on it at all. I can't help but focus on it some. I don't think anybody can really help that, but... I focus as much as I can on just the creative process itself, mm-hmm. and I find that much more rewarding and sustainable and nourishing and joy-giving, and uh, that's what we try to emphasize on on Hit Record. Well said. Right. At the end of the day, you're going to take satisfaction from the work and from, look, you know, if you make a movie and you get a bunch of awards, the award's not going to keep you warm at night, but maybe someday you might watch a bit of it and remember making it and be proud of the finished product. And that's actually where the satisfaction is. And that segues really nicely into the next thing I wanted to ask you about, which is process. I've always found it so fascinating that I don't know if people aren't interested in the creative process process or if the industry that sells us interviews and profiles and stuff like that assumes that we don't care about them. I'm a songwriter. It's a hobby of mine. I have Uh two books. As far as I know, there are two books that have ever been written where they asked Madonna and Ozzy Osbourne and you too, how do you make the songs? Mm Mm-hmm. Which is, when it comes down to it, the only reason why anybody cares... Everybody loves Lady Gaga's meat dress, but nobody cares if we didn't love the song song. in the first place. Right. So I thought it was cool of Logic that he let you into his process. I would imagine some people would be sort of secretive about that or afraid that they couldn't do it if somebody was watching. Yeah, that was was one of my favorite moments was that first day on the bus when he started rapping and showing how he comes up with a verse because he doesn't like sit with a pen and paper then write a verse and then rap he puts on headphones with a looping beat and he starts just like saying nonsense like not even words but kind of rhythmic syllables and you can as he keeps doing it you watch as these syllables become words and he has his phone out and he writes something down if he likes it he types really fast he types fast on his phone (laughs) And, and you can kind of just watch him spontaneously create this verse. And when he was done doing it, he was like, oh, I've never let anybody uh, record that before. I've never, I've never shown that to anybody. And I was like, yes, because I, I, that's exactly the stuff that makes me feel so inspired. And, uh, and I'm, that's, that's one of my favorite moments in the show. I and mean, there's a lot, but um, that you can see that, um, that sequence on the bus where he starts going, he starts just saying, like I said, just like gibberish. And it turns into coherent lyrics. I guess I, I, like every single person has a process, whether or not they're aware of having the process, every creative person anyway, like all of the thousands of people who sent you stuff for this track have their process that allowed them to arrive at it. I assume you have your process as well as an actor. Would anything surprise me about the way that you, do you have any weird quirks? Do you need to stomp around the house? I heard David Blaine one time before he did an interview screaming at himself in a mirror. (laughs) I definitely like to raise my voice Uh at myself sometimes. Uh, 
it's different now because I live with a beautiful family, so I, I can't just like spontaneously scream bloody murder. You got to make your um, time for that. Wait until everybody yeah. goes to bed and go down in the basement. I get it. I got kids. I get it. Yeah, but uh, what would um. Or have you ever encountered anybody who had a unique process that you could take something from or, or say, let me make sure I never do that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I try definitely I've 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 certainly encountered my share and I won't, you know, say who of, of people who seem to thrive on uh, being mean. And being mean to the people that they're working with. Oh. Um, and, and you don't think that's just their assholes who are talented? You actually think that the asshole thing actually drives the, the, the performance? It's a good question. Um, c- would they still yield good stuff without being mean? I I like to think that they would. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's – you're right, um, that they're actually just assholes. and they, if they, <laughs> they could just stop being assholes and still make good stuff, but <laughs> – uh, I don't know, though. I think for some people, it's sort of intrinsically tied into whatever fire in the belly is going on that's yeah. driving their creativity. And uh, I try to, you know, in in the and it's not that common, but in the rare instances where I've, um, you know, been somewhat subjected to it, I try to just like say like this is this is what they're feeling. This is what they do. This is their process. Like, okay. I'm not going to take it personally. Yeah, and I think I've found too, and I'm sure you have as well, a lot of times the crazy good things that come out of people are tied to crazy crazy inside of them and you it's hard to extricate the it's it's gum in the hair the the bad part of the crazy and the good yeah. part of the crazy are unfortunately sort of fused at the core. It's a good it's it's true, but I I will say though that the vast majority of people I've met, and I've been I've been really fortunate to meet some extremely talented people and work with some really extremely talented people, and the vast majority of them are real sweethearts, are really good to the people around them. Yeah, people are good. People are good. I still I'm still a utopian in that. <laughs> I have to let you go in a minute. I would be a fool to not ask you a couple of uh, questions about movies while I have you here. Let me do three quick ones before you go. As an actor. How do you get into the role of uh, Cobra Commander? <laughs> um, it's all about the voice and and trying not to hurt myself because that voice is painful. I would I would I would come away from a day of doing that character like in pain. It's just like it's worth it. It's worth it. It's all going to be worth it, and now it lives forever. <laughs> um, I don't know if we're spoiling anything to uh, link your character to Bruce Willis's character in Looper. Other than the nose, give me one specific thing that you felt like you needed to do or hone into to fuse your personality and come across as Bruce Willis. That was a voice, too. I just listened to his voice over and over again. I ripped audio from his movies and put it in headphones and put it on a loop and slept with his voice. It was remarkable. I really, really was Thanks, impressed man. by that. Thank I'm you. sure you hear that all the time. And uh, Robin John Blake in The Dark Knight Rises were tights ever on the table? And if so, would uh, would that have been a deal breaker for you? <laughs> I got the best of both worlds. I got to play a superhero and didn't have to wear tights. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you for uh, for coming by. You can, everybody, you can see uh, my guest in the Band Together One Hour Special, which is a YouTube original, um, also featuring Logic and the music video for the song with you and Logic and a cast of uh, over a dozen um, for the song Do 21 What You Love. people. Yeah. From all over the world. So cool. Brought them all together. I don't want to spoil too much. Um, the creation of that music video is documented in the special. You can also see the video at the Hit Record YouTube page. Thank you very much, buddy. Thanks, man.
Joseph Gordon-Levitt, everybody. How about that? Stick around. More to come. Comedian Jessica Michelle Singleton coming up next here on The Tully Show. Welcome back to The Tully Show here on Faction Talk. My next guest is the host of the Ignorance is Blessed and Existential Crisis podcasts. Additionally, she is a singular force in Los Angeles stand-up comedy. Hello and welcome, Jessica Michelle Singleton. Hi, thanks for having me. I follow you on social media and I enjoy following you on social media. I feel like you stand out from the pack of Los Angeles comics. You've definitely got your own little lane. Oh, thank you. I was like, oh, if you've been following lately, it's just been a, a public breakdown. But <laughs> Well, you have those from time to time, yeah. too. That's part of the fun. But I really enjoyed, without really understanding what was going on, you did like a European tour. Yes. And I felt like um, I, you experienced the hard knocks of not being like one of the headlining Joe Rogan people at the store. It's a, it's a tough game. Absolutely. And there's, there's ups and downs and you win some and you lose some. And I, yes. I feel that coming through your, your social media feed. And then I felt like, you got your just reward and something happened when you went to Europe. It was it was good. What yeah, happened there? I mean, it was just a very it was um Like what was it? Like literally. I mean, like I went to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, mm-hmm. which is was a big goal of mine, and I did a one woman show, which is I knew that I wanted to do something different if I ever went. I didn't want it to be regular stand up. I didn't know what it was gonna be, and then I did a ten day silent meditation, uh not last not this past Christmas, but the one before. Um, because I was having just a meltdown and I was going full eat, pray, love. I went through a breakup and then I was like, I'm going to do a meditation. I booked a trip to Hawaii. I briefly started taking guitar lessons and then I was like, okay, I got to oh, relax. Yeah. Um, That's like rock bottom. Yeah. No, I was like, this is, uh, I'm strumming for help. <laughs> but uh, in the middle of the meditation, I was like, oh, this is a show because you're silent and you're just stuck with your thoughts. And I was experiencing all these uh, flashbacks and weird, just like kind of my own internal monologue of trying to meditate and having a bit of a breakdown. And so I, I wrote a whole immersive show about it, which is very different than what I do. No, I'm not someone who, and I don't mean this in like a, these theater people, I'm just not someone who has ever written my own like theater piece. I mean, I grew up doing musical theater and um, and I love it, but my stand-up's always, I've always been very purist with my, I'm a stand-up comedian, that's what I do. So what would that, how is that different from? My one-woman show, because I, I think a lot of people go like, one-woman show, and it's like, you mean this is just stand-up, but long-form stories, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and you're, you're occasionally you're talking off to the distance and it's supposed to be your mom hearing you. Yeah, right, but mine was uh, very much, you come into the show and it's like we're all going on a 10-day silent meditation, so I have a video element, which is not something I do with my stand-up, where. Uh, Thank goodness. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, I can't. I mean, I'm sick of these projector comics. No, yeah, no, it's like just write your jokes. So I, and because I'm like that as well, like I feel the same way. I, I tried to be so clear about like, this is not my stand up. Please don't come and think that this is what I normally do. Mm-hmm. It's experimental. It's sort of a creative thing for me, but it's, was it, was it, I mean, I'm sure it was funny in parts. It was, it was, it was sad. It was, there were parts where it goes real deep sad, but it was, funny there was but, but okay if you're a comic you can do whatever you want you can tell a story you can make a point you can you can do anything but you know you gotta have that button on yeah the end. and it's Did like, you have to give yourself permission to go some of these yeah. passages scenes whatever don't end with a laugh it was and it was hard for me because right. i am very like don't call it comedy 
if people don't laugh. And that's why I was trying to be very vocal about like, this isn't my comedy. This is a show and it's different. There is laughs and it's okay to laugh even when it gets dark. But like, don't come expecting it to be comedy. And then because I didn't want to let people down, you know, which is every comedian. You know, just like, I just want everyone to be entertained. But uh, the, the screen is basically uh, an ongoing Throughout the entire hour, there's a film going on on the screen, but it's what's going on in my brain while I'm trying to meditate. So it was like me on stage was a lot of, uh, I mean, it got heavy, but it was a lot of like silent physical comedy as you see me having a breakdown in my mind. Mm -hmm. So I had to, I don't look at the screen when I'm on stage, so I had to figure out my timing. So all my moves are timed with me knowing what's going on on the screen. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And so like- This is Roger Waters' everyday life. Oh, God. Yeah. Shit. Uh, Am I allowed to say shit? Serious oh, yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah, care, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was yeah. like, it's XM. Um, yeah, fuck shit, asshole. Yeah, this, uh, is, this is the future. Welcome. Yay, <laughs> the future we've all been waiting for. <laughs> fuck shit, asshole. Um, so I did that for twenty eight days straight in Edinburgh, and then after that, I had a big. Shit, it's that long? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Some people only go; they go for small chunks of time. You can do the full month. I did the full month, which was an incredible experience. But it was, you realize how much uh, truth there is to the fact that when you retell a story. You're, they, there's been studies about how your emotions, uh, you like react the same physiologically as if you're going through experience again. So I'm retelling like these traumas that I've been through. And then it's like, oh, that like does weigh on you because it's keeps bringing it up. And then eventually you kind of just get used to it. But I always wonder about that. Like people who are doing like, you know, Raising in the Sun on Broadway or something like you're not a good. And there's some people who are just all facade and they're not really. Feeling yeah. Well, most people are. are it's, like, it's not even good acting. It's just sad. <laughs> yeah. When you just have to go out there and, you know, bury your family every night on stage yeah. over and over and over. Like, you kind of got to be a bummer at dinner at a certain point. Yeah. Right? No, it like really does affect you. So I was trying to like also uh, meditate and do all these like self-care things. And then luckily afterwards, I, I had booked a whole stand-up tour of just regular stand-up in Europe. Um, and that was, um, I th- I'm, anytime you're doing a tour and you're constantly on the go, it is like physically draining at a certain point to travel. But that was cool, getting to go to all these cities. And um, almost all my shows were sold out, which was crazy. Because, I mean, like you said before, I'm not one of these like big Joe Rogan. I have my little like niche I've sort of carved out and I'm on a slow climb, and which is great. But it was cool seeing people come out in another country, in several other countries, and still enjoy what I do. Were these like fans, or was this just like people going to the comedy? It show? was. Um, it was a mix of both. I was surprised that there was like at, at every show there was a handful of people who uh, are big comedy fans, so they knew who I was, so they had seen my work, they've heard my album. Um, so it was, um, I would say probably twenty five percent fans. Mm-hmm. And 75% people who are mostly expats, like, oh, thank God, some entertainment in English. And it's like, well, you live in a foreign country. What do you want? I have to hear one more Teresa May joke. Yeah. And it's, but, uh, but then they, you know, ideally, I think most of them translated from the show into fans. They started following me and stuff. So it was just cool to see, um, that there's an audience for what you do all over the right. place. So two questions, one slightly dumber than the other. Were these all mostly English-speaking audiences? Mm, um, yeah, well, I was performing in English, so it was mostly English speakers. And I would say uh, probably the majority of them, that's their native language. But okay. I, a good handful, probably like maybe 20 to 25% mixed in of people who it's their second language. But yeah, yeah, they're... Yeah. 
heavy English speakers. I did. Do you have a little French? I have un, un petit peu. Yeah, um, same here. <laughs> but um, I studied it for years. It's just one of those things that, because there's no one to talk to. Right. So I'm now trying to hassle my friends that are also probably around the same level. I'm not a person who wants to be annoying. Like, let's do a lunch where we only speak French. Yeah, that's. Like, but because I want to develop it. Why? I don't know. Just as I, as a, mostly as a challenge to myself, I want to do, I have a goal for this year to do, to write a five minute set in French. Like, I don't, I don't plan to like be like Gad, who's a very famous French comedian who's crossed over to English culture and has like a, a full hour. I just would like to see if I can figure out how to make people laugh in a different language. Yeah, that's super fun. I get that. Yeah. It's just a shame that we got French. We were the tail end of people where they still thought that that was a, a useful, cool it's thing. It's like, mm, fun. Oh, wow, you're so sophisticated. You can... Although... Ooh, ooh, eh, le grand cinéma. Ooh, yeah. la, la. Mm. Wow. Ooh, eh, la... He likes movies in Paris. Yeah, what's, I know. What's your arrondissement? Yeah, and then I'm like, <laughs> is my brand of comedy, because I'm basically just a gaping wound mm-hmm. slash trash bag, I'm like, is that... We'll talk about that. ...gonna be <laughs> what, like... French speakers are into like like are they laughing with me or they're laughing at me or are they just going to be like I do not understand there's what? French trash yeah there's got to be right angst. well yeah the Germans I guess it's Canada I'm kidding yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I have no idea what their stereotypes are but yeah yeah I'm like yeah they have to have mm-hmm. their version of well Ari Shafir would tell you everybody's got their trash people yeah yeah uh, yeah we'll talk about Ari too but um. I got the impression that you were getting your just rewards because you're not one of these. I've done shows. Of course you have as well. It goes without saying where you can just go out and do the most base, stupid thing. And as long as you're doing hack jokes with telegraph punchlines about the five dumbest subjects imaginable, yep. you're going to kill in that room. And it's going to be an uphill climb for somebody to go out there who is doing something that is above like Neanderthal. Level. Yeah, yeah. And now, and and you're not going to lower yourself to that. I mean, we all we all lower well, it's ourselves. Like, a little yeah, because you're like, please go. God. But it's like, yeah, trying to stay true to like, yeah, where what your bar is for being your funniest. How can I bridge what this room likes with what I like instead of me just doing? Yeah, how can you know, I still be me and right. get them on board? Do you know Shane Moss? I do. So he's been on here a couple of times, and he talks about how comics love doing his stand-up science. Uh, uh, shows oh, because awesome. it's the smartest room you'll ever be in. Yes. Because he's these comics have, as I have, as I no doubt you have, this big bag of stuff that you're like, oh, that would be great. I'm never going to get to Yeah, do that, that no one's going to... Because where would I... They would hate me for, Absolutely. For, for, for doing this. I got the impression, I guess I was just assuming that you were able to... Why do I think Europe, European comedy fans are smarter than American comedy fans? I don't... That's because, I mean... They might be. I think. I think if nothing else, I felt like you were very well received there. That you found your people. Yeah. There. No, it was really great, and it was cool to to go like, oh, I I have people, because <laughs> sometimes you know, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you know how it is. It's very up and down, and you have moments where you're like, do I? Does anyone even care that I'm doing this? And then you get on stage and have a good show, and you're like, oh, they get me. I can be a hundred percent myself, and it, it's embraced, which is a nice feeling, yeah. versus feeling like you're, you know tap dancing to be like anything please um it's nice to have have people understand uh where you're coming from and laugh sure so let's go back to the beginning you yes. mentioned being a gaping wound and a and a, a, a trash bag etc yes. <laughs> i don't like again because i kind of picked up on your 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 social media is like a it's not a soap opera but it, in a way 
I picked up on your story at a certain point, and I don't know all the prior events that are feeding the person that I am. That to, you are the now. sad sag that's trying to hold it together. You don't seem like a sad person. Yeah, either. no, that's it's so funny. Some one of my best friends, Buddy Hutton, great guy, used to do comedy. Then he got a big boy job and whatever. Mm. Buddy, no, but uh, he once described me as the most happy-go-lucky, depressed person he'd ever met. Yeah, because I, um, I think I, I have high energy. So, like, I have, like, sad thoughts, but I still have that. I think it's probably common, especially with comedians, that, like, I don't want to bring the room down just because I'm I'm not a misery loves company type. Like, it's, yes, I, like, I'll get depressed, but I'm like, I don't want to be, it's very weird. It's like yeah. my, uh, an internal dichotomy of, like, having high energy, but also yeah. feeling deeply emotional well there's two things like everything is nature and nurture mm -hmm. and like some kids are raised in tough circumstances or you know have demanding parents and their siblings and they have more or less identical upbringings but because of the way that that cause that crushes one of the children but causes the other one to raise the bar and to become, thrive to become excellent and that you can't really explain how it no. is because it's a mixture of your your genes versus chemistry yeah you know what's very interesting about that is that uh my i have two younger stepbrothers but i have a brother who and we grew up uh you know assuming we we're from the same parents um and assuming, he, assuming yeah here, oh, it's a whole thing. So yeah, um, I, I want to do the whole thing. Let's do it. Um, so he was a couple years older than me, and um, he had a learning disability. Um, and my mom would you know, just constantly be like, "He, you know, he's not dumb. He just he has dyslexia." And then there's there are moments now where I don't know if it's because of his drug use or because he was always like this. And my mom just insisted that he's like, "No, he's like brilliant, and he does have." Oh, sorry, almost like. Um, a, the, a spectrum ability to like know trivia information or just random facts. But there's other parts where I'm like, oh, he just is lacking a lot of basic understanding of things. That can, both of those things can happen. Yes. And it's one of those things because I didn't realize it before because for years we, in my adult life, we were, we didn't really talk. It's not like we weren't talking. He just was so into drugs that we just didn't communicate. Um, and now I look and I go like, was she just neglecting the fact that like she he had all these special needs and she was just, I mean, like telling herself whatever. My mom uh, has borderline personality disorder, um, which um, is so much to go into. But if one of the basic things is a lot of times mothers with borderline either adore their child or they can, they, they like detest, they literally hate them. Uh -huh. And she kept my brother on a pedestal and she, she very much did not like me and we're, and we're okay now. I want to be clear about that. Like we have, the best relationship we possibly could. We communicate. We're, it's as good as it can be. It's not, we're not super close, but it's positive and I care about her and I love her and I understand that it's mental illness and she does the best she can with what she had. Just what she had was a fucking, a nightmare, but. That's great you've gotten to that place. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's all you can do. So, you know, and it's, it, there's, there's a lot to getting to the point where you uh, can fully accept it. Like you're never going to get what you're hoping to get. Like it's not going to, she's not going to change. So just going, this is how she is. Take it for what it is and don't let it bother you that that's how it is. Which, in a way, can if you can get to that point, is better because you can stop being disappointed. You, you, you stop getting hurt thinking yeah. it's going to be different. Lucy stops pulling the football away from Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown just stops, stops approaching the ball because he knows she's going to take it. A thousand percent. Yeah. Um, and Where did you grow up? I, I was born in Germany. Oh. Um, 
And then we moved to southern Mississippi when I was three. My dad was in the military. And then my dad abandoned the family. And then my mom moved us to Alaska when I was in sixth grade. Why? Um, she drove us in a car to Alaska. She got a job there. So she was pl- oh. applying for jobs all over the place. I yeah. think to get Casting as far right away there. from my dad as possible. But also Alaska has, uh, they, they pay you a lot to move to Alaska. Like, uh, to, or jobs pay more there. Uh, right, and then there's the little the little homesteader thing where the the government kicks you. Absolutely, you get a dividend every yeah. year, and then um, I don't know if my mom knew this at the time. I assume maybe, but there's also uh, four guys for every girl in Alaska. So I think maybe she was like, "Let me go get a husband." Uh huh. But we lived in a very small town in Mississippi, and I think it was just one of those southern towns where everybody knows everybody. And I think that our you know we our family was kind of a mess, and it was a little bit of probably like a narcissistic pride thing of like I don't. Like the people know that my husband left and like she was an alcoholic and yeah, sure, sure, sure. So she's from there. Um, she's, well, she, uh, we just lived there from like, uh, late eighties, maybe nine nineteen ninety 1990 until we moved. So it was just a good chunk of time. She's long originally enough, long enough that she's in the community. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can, I can totally, under, I've thought about cutting bait and running away. Sure. Yeah. And it's, um, and that's also part of borderline is like narcissism and being very concerned with the image you have. Cause my mom would. You know, she was a Girl Scout troop leader and she would coach soccer, but I was like, but we'd go home and she would just tell me how worthless I am. And and it was just one of those things where, yeah. you know, I'm like, no one's going to believe me. You have, I'm going to assume, read Daryl Hammond's book. No. Are you kidding? I have not. You don't know anything about this? No, I don't. Oh, my goodness. You and him would be pals. You know, Daryl Hammond was I, on SNL. I think he's the announcer. Now. Yeah. And he was like the, one of the greatest impressionists. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Second only to Phil Hartman, in my opinion. That is his. Uh, I love Phil Hartman. Uh, Jeez. Um, it, yeah, the, his mother was a pillar of the community. Everybody loved her, and um, but he. Uh, I mean, I don't want to spoil all the good parts. At one point, she closed a car door on his hand. Yeah. I mean, really, uh, occasionally would speak to him in with different accents. Oh that were, wow! Yeah, it was really deeply. Uh, disturbing. Disturbing. Oh wow! I should Maybe read I should that. Check that out. Yeah, no, it's he, the, there would be like a switch going up. There's a a book uh, about borderline personality disorder or growing up with someone. I haven't read it yet. It's at the top of a list of books I plan to get to eventually called Walking on Eggshells. But it was just like she would just turn evil, and no, and no one understood when I was like afraid of my mom. They'd be like, "What are you?" People thought I, I'd try to tell people every once in a while. And they'd yeah. be like. Okay, they just thought I was embellishing. Yeah, see, my mom yelled at us everywhere we went, so at so least, people just knew. <laughs> at least They're like, there she goes. We're up against. Yeah, I was like, my mom didn't want anyone to know, right. but um, when I was older, when I went to I went to college in Florida, and I my dad lived in Florida, and we had kind of reconnected. We weren't like he was. I don't want to say in and out of my life because I was in Alaska, so we wasn't really in, but we, you know, we would get bir- like calls on the birthday, et cetera, et cetera. So he wasn't completely gone. Then toward the end of college, he disappeared again and I haven't talked to him but um I found out from my stepbrother in his new marriage that uh my brother and I were actually created through artificial insemination because apparently my dad couldn't have kids um he's got something called Kleinsfelter syndrome which is uh an extra chromosome it's an extra sex chromosome and it also like affects your intellect I read all about it so I was like so basically I was like abandoned by like a uh, dumb hermaphrodite and I should like not be it's not hermaphrodite's not the appropriate word, but like, yeah, he was shooting blanks basically. Right, 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 right. And he was all and, and gender wise, he was all of the above and then some. Yeah, and so he's like emotional, and then like it, it you know, they they say that um, 
like there's a lot of people in the criminal system. They think that or a heavy amount of people in that population end up in in the criminal system. They're just like, what? There's a million reasons, things I could dissect about it. The point is, he couldn't have kids. Yeah. And then um, when I talked to my dad about it, he was like, Oh yeah, but you know, I we went to a sperm donor, and I I love you like my you're my own. You know, I don't think about that any at all. Like in my mind, I had forgotten about that. Anyways, like two years later, he ended up disappearing. I think he's running from insurance and also on drugs. But the point is, I asked my mom about it. And she's like, yeah, but, you know, you and your brother have the same father. You you get, get the same sperm from a sperm bank. And I was like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah. And uh, and I was like, are you going to, you got to talk to my brother about it. You got to tell him. She's like, I'm not going to tell him. We weren't, you weren't supposed to find out. It was like, my, my older stepbrother had overheard my dad. Yeah. And he, he's like, told me. This is like Santa Claus on steroids when yeah. the older sibling figures it out. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, um, so I tried to tell my brother. And I think he, because I've always been so weird and like jokey, I think he just thought it was like some weird joke I was making. And he's like, okay, whatever. But so I did 23 and Me a couple of years ago because I was curious about my ethnic history. Of course. Or like, and my, well, my medical history was my main thing, but I have no desire to meet my biological father to be like, daddy, you know, but I was like, it would, it, I wouldn't mind looking at a guy and being like, oh, that's where my eyes come from or knowing who he is. So I don't like have sex with him. Um, yeah. Assuming it's not too late. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> the world may never know, but, right. um, but, but then I found out I was like mostly Ashkenazi Jewish, which is just a cool fact. And all my Jewish friends were like, I know it. But anyways, this past <laughs> year, um, I'm, I'm going like so much coffee, a million miles an hour, but this past you year, you slow down tattooed on your hand. I know that's a stand up thing. I'm guessing it is. It's because I talk too fast, but right. I, I think it's a good note for my life too. Right. Um, I like it. Keep going. Um, so this past around Thanksgiving, we were all getting together. The family was doing like a big family cruise over Thanksgiving, which is just classic white trash. We do we do cruises and we do casinos, and that's all of our reunions. But um, I got an email from Twenty Three and Me like, oh, if you buy two kits, you get a discount. So I asked my mom and my brother. I was like, hey, here's a thing. Do you guys want to do this? Because I would like to get it for you if you would like it. But I also know some people are very weird about that kind of stuff. And they're like, yeah, let's do it, whatever. So they do it. And then it f- turns out my brother is my half-brother. Oh. Which there's a lot of, uh, who knows? I was like, was it? my mom's like, oh, they must have lied to me at the sperm bank. But then there's a part of me and a couple of my friends that have been like, she's also a borderline woman who was still drinking in the 80s. She might have just like stepped out and had some fun or whatever. Right. The the point is, is that my brother, he two years ago nearly died overdosing on heroin. And like, he's always just from a young age been like drugs, troublemaker, struggling. And I have two stepbrothers and they both have really struggled with a lot of stuff like that. We came from like a tumultuous household where we were kind of neglected and abused and uh, not kind of, we were neglected and abused, but I've, I've often made jokes about how, how it's weird. Like I should be doing heroin. Like, why am I not? Why am I okay? Right relative to everyone else you know like why do i have this like resilience and then when i saw that he was only my half brother it sort of made me wonder how much of that is tied into genetics you know like how 
I, Isn't it always, it seems to me like, I don't know, I'm very lucky to say, I said my mom bitched us out all over the place and she was a brownie leader for a really long time, which is funny because <sighs> she'd also yell at the brownies. That's so funny. <laughs> but my parents. But... People screaming at other people's kids is my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a different time. Although, She's like, I'll spank all of you. My God, that's really funny. It didn't occur because I'm, I'm a parent and I, I'm not shy about correcting my kid, like if, if we're taking a kid to the movies or something and, and they're like, I, I, don't, I mean, I don't hit them or anything. But you're like, but hey, don't do that. Other people don't know how to tell other people's kids no. Yeah. That is something that, that's an innate dad gift that I, that I yeah. have. And I, I've never connected the dots. I think that's, they're like, what a blessing. I think that's probably why. But like very, very stable, loving, normal parents still live in the house I grew up in. I'm incredibly oh, lucky. In, I love that. In that regard. It seems to me as someone who has only like observed dysfunctional families and, and, and dysfunctional people, it seems like almost it's like a in a nature thing one kid comes out being the one who's put together because somebody's got to be yeah and i i wonder if that stems from when i think about my childhood or like i mean like i talk about being a people pleaser or whatever but growing up it was always just like trying to keep everything okay yeah. and that was always kind of my role in the family was like let's just just what can i do to make it as as easy as possible. As, I think like, classically, uh, female children yeah. are probably a little bit more inclined to be that person. If Maybe you, if it's you just that, like, you, yeah. If you tell me that a boy sibling is that one, I'm going to guess that they're the oldest one. Yeah, and that they've had to become the surrogate parent of the family. Otherwise, yeah. it's almost always going to be. Uh, um, uh, a, a girl. So yeah, absolutely. Like- and I, I think maybe there is something to the like biology of women to like try to nurture and try to make everything. I see. I'm being led to believe nowadays that there's absolutely no difference between men and women. I mean, I, I, until, I, until a year or two ago, I was inclined to believe you. I now totally. I think yeah. I, I mean, if I, it's okay. Well, if science <laughs> is sexist, I like, I'm, no, of course it seems that yeah, way. I know it's just, it's all so weird. Cause I'm, I'm, a thousand percent a feminist as as far as like I believe in equal opportunity yeah. I also believe that like if you pay me the same amount of money to do construction as a man who's six foot five and like 300 pounds you're a fucking idiot probably I'm gonna not, take the money probably not getting my money's worth yeah I was like I'm I can't do the same job well America's got a really bad uh history with separate but equal yeah but unfortunately that's kind of where the the gender thing is probably going to have to come down at a certain point we 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 uh the LA Fitness is going to have two locker rooms for the foreseeable future. I mean, yeah, and it's just one as, of those as it probably should be. Yeah, no, and it's like I, I'm, you know, choose whichever one you identify with. Yeah, absolutely sure. fine, but the idea that we're all the same is absurd. And I say that, yeah, it, it like in a fully sexist because there's a lot of things that I think women are much better at than men, like emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. and it, and that's. And that's not everybody. There's like the exceptions and whatever. There's glaring exceptions to every single rule. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, it's fine. No one is as good as everyone. It's like, you're never going to match up to every other person. You have your strengths, you have your weaknesses. Yeah. It's fine. It might be kind of good if we can actually at a certain point, and this is a crazy transition phase that we're in right now. And yeah. I'm actually, I'm feeling pretty groovy about it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm zigging whenever. It needs to happen. Exactly. I just, I realized it, it hits me more and more, and I know I've said this before on the show, that we're just doing the 60s all over again. You need to do the 60s every 50 years or yeah. so, where we just throw everything up in the air and we question absolutely everything. Yeah, it's and important. The rea- and the reactionary people are going to get really, really angry about the outliers who are are demanding the truly insane 
same. shit. Yeah. And believe me, in the 60s, you know, or early 70s, I could find no shortage of Nixon Republicans who were like, well, now the hippies would have us believe the blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know what? The hippies <laughs> were the hippies were ridiculous, and they also moved our culture forward immeasurably, and that is what is going to happen this Absolutely. time around, too. Absolutely. But eventually we're going to figure out that maybe it would be a better world if men – Fought most of the wars, but women were the ones who were actually deciding when and whether if or not we we're going to go to them, yeah, or whatever the yeah. things may be. Right. Yeah, no, exactly, because it's yeah. I mean, that's such a good example, but yeah, no, and I think you have to do this sort of like purge, yeah, and maybe like I, I mean, it's the same thing. It's not the same thing, but in a like similar, like in a parallel example like with comedy sometimes you have to go way over the line to figure out where you want to find the joke, and obviously. Equal rights and making a joke are two very different things, and I'm not comparing them, but it's yeah, like... we're just talking here. And you're like, let, yeah, no, let's go 100% and see... Right. Like, flip the switch, see what... Like, if you have to give a few extra opportunities to raise the bar yeah. or whatever, fine. Let's see what happens. Yeah, yeah, you, you can Shake only... Shake it up. You can only find out where the line is when you kind of go yeah. past it. And that's... I, I was saying that the other day, like, you know, we all... Are aware of, say, for example, the dangers of legalizing drugs. Yes, I think I think we know, and there's probably some other ones we're not even thinking of. Yeah, but at the same time, we're pretty well aware of the drawbacks of illegal drugs. Yeah, absolutely. So why should it be so outrageous to? It, it, if you were a politician, it'll ruin your career. If you went out and you're like, let's just talk about it. What would happen? Like you're 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 done. You're done because they'll just bury you. Yeah, and why can't we just talk about? You know, I mean, there's, are, there's yeah, why, why can't we talk about the benefits of legalizing prostitution? Yeah. It's not no no conversation is is should be so scandalous. Yeah, you We're shouldn't just talking it out, man. Yeah, there's nothing you shouldn't be able to have a, a discussion about. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I I do feel like nowadays that's kind of scary to be like it's tough. Yeah, in, in our in our side, I'm I'm, I'm I'm assuming you and I are on the same side of this. Yeah, is uh, I'm not always very proud of proud of the way that we're handling ourselves collectively either, and it's a it's a bummer because I'm pretty sure we're right most of the time, and I think we 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 have the winning hand and lose the argument. Over yeah, and over and over it's again. like we have a good pricks. idea. Yeah, it's like the ideals are right, but yeah. the approach is. Yeah. Not going to work. We got the, all the wrong spokespeople on Twitter. You do a uh, podcast with your ex boyfriend. I do, Connor McSpadden. It's called Existential Crisis. So, why does it seem to me like, let's just say the comedy store, because every uh, comedy club kind of becomes its own little universe entity, yeah. Yeah, 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 community. Why does it seem to me like eighty percent of the men at the comedy store at one point or another have had a sexual liaison liaison with eighty percent of the women at the comedy store? I think it's just your uh, your social circle. I mean, if you work at a restaurant, people end up poking up there. It's just... Yeah. But not all of them with all of them. Not No, it, there is a lot of crossover. But I also think that there's a lot to be said about how... um, I, uh, Broken isn't the word. It's not a fair word. But comedians are, I think, a unique group of people. And we uh, tend to be... Uh, there's, like, a lot of addicts or people who are hypersexual, also, like, emotionally damaged and, like, constantly seeking love so i think it that somehow ties into the like mm. let's you know b- being together alone is better than just being completely lonely <laughs> like so, so you're saying it's not my imagination no i think there is a lot of crossover and i, I don't think that that applies to absolutely everyone but I, I do think if you were to make some sort of web of who's been with who you'd be like my heavens this is a very muddy gene it's pool. incestuous yeah it's like a, like a creepy high school everyone's hooked up with everyone right 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 but also not everyone and that's the worst is that because that that is a stereotype and because people do there is a an a decent amount of crossover i think 
Um, I don't even think that's true. I think I might be an outlier and maybe I've hooked up with a lot of people. But because oh, yeah. because of the stigma, mm-hmm. like if I give somebody a ride to their car, like because I get to park in the lot and sometimes like the door guys have to park up a hill or whatever. Yeah. Anyone I walk really? away from the comedy store with, people are like, what's going on with you and so-and-so? Uh-huh. So I always have to be like, no- nothing. Really? The door guys? Really? I know. Unfair. We got to go. Thank you so much for uh, coming by. I'm glad we finally got to do this. Thanks for having me and putting up with my million thoughts. Uh, <laughs> Jessica, Michelle, Singleton, you're at JMS Comedy, Ignorance is Blessed Pod, and the Existential Crisis Pod? Yes. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks.